I did my um, usual thing. For those of you that don't know, this is not my uh, uh, full-time job. Uh, I'm, I work full-time as a, a manager of a, of a, um, a, a bottle shop. Dan Murphy's down in Ballina. Um, some people say to me, you pedal one spirit for five days of the week, you pedal another on the other, but um, it's not quite the case. But uh, uh, doing, doing that comes with uh, certain uh, disadvantages, and that is that I don't get to sit for a couple of days. Uh, me and my wife used to be associate pastors of another church years ago, and you would have a lot of time to prepare your messages and to speak God and to hear what he was saying and to put it all together and construct it. And the season of life we're in at the moment, it's not quite like that, so I usually find myself in a mad dash uh, quite often God will speak to me in his grace on Monday morning and he'll give me the basis of, of, of what, I'm, what I'm to preach on. Um, occasionally that doesn't happen. And this week that didn't happen. Um, so uh, I was uh, way down at Coffs Harbour. I had a few days off work this week and I was playing touch football in the National uh, Touch League down at Coffs. Um, some of you might have seen my fantastic form. I was on the news running around doing all kinds of fancy things that this amazing 40-year-old body can still do uh, in 34-degree heat. That's, I was expecting at least Patrick to, to, to encourage me at that point. Cheese on that, please. Only say it if you mean it, Pat. Only say it if you mean it. Um, so anyway, I got home and, 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 and have, was, was, was thinking while I was down there, I'll find the time and I'll be able to, you know, seek God. But we were staying about 30 minutes away from the grounds and, and I was staying with a couple of other people in the room. It just wasn't set up that way that I could spend a lot of time. So that's okay. I'll get home. Got home and last night I, I sat down and thought, right, yeah, Lord, what, what, what do you want to say here? And, and uh, I, I didn't, I, well, he was probably trying to talk to me, but I was falling asleep on, on, on God. He was tapping me on the shoulder probably, and I was just like, yeah, God, that's good. Uh, went to bed, woke up early this morning and thought, right, yeah, I, I, I think I have an idea. What I'm going to do is I've got a, a message over here that I have preached before that, that I'll just pluck that out of the archives and we'll run with that. And as I sat down at the computer, I felt the Lord tap me on the shoulder and say, no, I don't want you to do that. Here's what I want you to do. So 6 o'clock this morning, I'm sitting there in the garage and, and uh, typing away and waiting on God. And, and I felt like he said, to, he wants me to speak this morning. I want to do this over a few weeks. I want to speak about the purpose of the storms. Purpose of storms. How many of you know that we all go through storms in life? It's been amazing in the last month or so, how many people, uh, and, and I'm not one of these guys that says because you come to this church you get extra pressure and the enemies, I, I'm, the devil hates you because God loves you, end of story, it doesn't matter where you go, what you're doing, the devil hates you because of the basis of who you are, you are God's creation and he doesn't like you, okay, and God does love you on the basis of who you are, it's not about performance, it's not about what you do, what you don't do. It's not the more you do, the more God loves, the less you do, the less. It's, it, that's, that's a works-based mentality and that's a misrepresentation of the grace of the Father to his children. All right? But I have noticed in the last month or so there's been a lot of people I've been getting around to and talking to and there have been a lot of storms brewing in people's lives in, in this church. And I'm not saying it's only here, it could be, but I can only speak on behalf of the people that we, that we minister to and, and, and call family. Um, so there's been a lot of things happening, a lot of things being thrown at us. Uh, how many of you know that when Jesus was a babe was the time that the enemy tried to take him out? Herod sent out a decree and said, let's kill every child two years and under. And there's something, if you can take something out in its infancy, you'll get less resistance. If you attack a child, you'll get less resistance than if you attack a grown adult. And I was just thinking about this and I was thinking, well, Lord, 
we're, we're infants. We've just celebrated our first birthday a few weeks ago as, as a church. And uh, we've got to organise a cake too. We'll do a cake and, and have a, 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 a cake here one Sunday to celebrate our, our first birthday as a church. Um, so we're still infants. And I, I think if, if the enemy can take us out early, um, then he'll do what he can. Because it's easier to kill an infant than it is to attack a, a, a grown adult. And I'm looking around at all the things that are happening and if, if I'm honest, a part of me is wondering and thinking, well, is this what's going on here? Are you, are you throwing things at people because I know you hate those people but is there another side of that too, God, that you just would love, that, that sorry, the enemy would just love for uh, this church to, to, to fold and to be no more and to disappear before we ever really got off the ground. Um, so I want to spend a few weeks and I want to look at the purpose of the storms. You know, every storm that comes has a purpose. So I was, um, I'm a little bit interested in lightning. Right? Anyone interested in lightning? It's a weird interest. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in football and normal things too. But I have a few weird, quirky interests and lightning and the way lightning works. And, and, and quite often, those of you that have children, you may have had this question from your own kids about lightning and thunder and, and basically why. Why does it have the why question? Why do we have to have, why do we have to have big, loud, banging noises that shake our windows? And why does there have to be these big streaks of flashing light from the sky that occasionally hit people when they're walking across the middle of a paddock in the middle of a lightning storm with an umbrella above their head, which I wouldn't suggest you do. It's not wise. Why do these things happen? And did you know when storms come, there are so many benefits to nature and the environment? Now, I didn't realise this, but um, lightning um, brings uh, a certain amount of electrical charge to planet Earth that, that planet Earth actually needs to stay in the, in, and function the way that it does. Uh, it, it releases, I think it's hydrogen or something into the atmosphere as well when the, when the, when the, the, the negative and positive uh, things connect and that's when you get the streak. And it releases uh, hydrogen or nitrogen or something, nitrogen into the atmosphere. All these things that happen in a storm. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I read also... If you look at a, the grass, you look at the colour of the grass three days after an electrical storm and you'll see that it's, it's much more greener than, say, three days after just a, a rain, rain passes by. When you get electric, electricity in the ground, it does something to, to energise and feed the plant life and three days after an electrical storm, if you have a look, the grass will be particularly green. Interesting little things. So storms in the natural world serve a purpose. The same is true in the spiritual side of life as well. When storms come our way, they serve a purpose. Now, I know that the default for most of us is when a storm comes, let's just pray the storm away. Let's just pray and say, Lord, take this storm away. I wonder how much do we miss out on at times? Because we don't realise that God's allowing that storm for a reason. Um, I don't want to read it now, but we all know the story of the, 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 the storm. The disciples were on the boat with Jesus. And we're going to have a look at one of those situations right now. But there's one where they were on a boat and a storm came. And the disciples were panicking and waves were coming over. And the Bible says that Jesus was up the front asleep on a pillow. Who remembers that story? Jesus was asleep on a pillow. And the disciples start panicking and then they start accusing Jesus. Jesus, don't you care for us? Don't you love us? How often can we react like that? when we're under pressure, when we've got storms coming our way. And what comes out of us is instead of like Paul and Silas, we worship God and we praise God in the middle of that dungeon, our default is to start accusing God. Don't you care about us, Lord? Because reality is that, you know, I mean, if God is good, 
and every good and perfect gift comes down from above, well, this situation isn't good. Therefore, the logical explanation is God's not good and God doesn't love you. And that's how a lot of us think by default. We go to the same place the disciples did. And you know what? It's not, a, it's not a bad thing. I mean, if these guys walked with Jesus physically, watched him open physical blind eyes, watched him raise the dead, watched him cleanse lepers, watched him turn two loaves of bread into a party, watched him do all the things that he did and still could accuse him of not caring about them, then how much more easier is that for those of us today who weren't there to see what it's it's normal. It's it's not a, a a negative. I'm not. I don't feel down about it. But the reality is, I've had those moments myself, where I've looked at situations and there's this thing inside of me that wants to go, "Don't you care anymore?" But then the last few years, with different things that have happened, I've realised, you know what? There's a reason why storms exist. There's a reason behind them. There's a purpose in every storm. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 23, immediately. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. So here they are on a boat. Storm's going, the wind's blowing, the water's coming. It's, it's a messy, messy scene. Anyone that's been on a boat... In the middle of a storm, it would know. My wife will attest to that. Uh, I won't share the story, but I made the mistake of taking her out in the boat in the middle of the Solomon Islands in the middle of a cyclone. But even the, anyway, bad story. We're still married. It's the main thing. It's a terrible situation. And here they are. They're out there by themselves. They're all alone. The storm's whipping up. And then they see this figure walking on the top of the water towards them. It's not a normal situation. Slightly off kilter. And Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it's I do not be afraid. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Are you of little faith? Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. The reality is, when you have a look at this story, you can't help but think this is a setup. It's a setup. Jesus has set these guys up. The story starts with them on the edge of the sea, and Jesus says to these boys, I want you guys to get into a boat. I know there's a storm going. I'm going to go up on the mountain and watch. Have a bit of a laugh. It's a setup. Jesus knew a storm was going to brew. He knew a storm was coming. Yet he still sent these disciples out in the boat by themselves to have to deal with that situation. It's got to be a stitch up. It's got to be some sort of a setup. That's what it looks like. He knew the storm was coming, but he still sent them out. It's almost like whatever he wanted to teach them next could only be learnt in the pressure of the storm. Whatever they had to learn, whatever was the next step in their discipleship, could only take place in the pressure of a storm. The fact that Jesus sends us into storms shows us that the storm serves a God-ordained purpose. And when we begin to understand that purpose, 
We're able to ride the storm more calmly and learn everything that God has for us at the time. Uh, I remember years ago when we were missionaries in India and, and we had moved back to Australia and uh, we started running evangelism uh, training schools for Youth with a Mission in Brisbane. And I had to do one trip back to India to wrap up, g'day, to wrap up all of our stuff and to, to get it in a shipping container and send it back. We had a whole life over there in India, an old box and dice, that's where we lived. We thought that we would die there and we would never come back to this, this country. But anyway, we're here now. And um, uh, so I went back there and I, I wrapped everything up and shipped it all back. And on the way home, I'd been away from my wife and children for 10 weeks. We don't recommend you do this. We've never done it like that. But, but my wife was coming. Uh, we, we, we had got a word from the Lord through some people that for whatever reason, she was told, don't go. It, it's not going to be safe for you. So Jackie stayed behind and I went, don't know why, but you know what? You don't need to know why. You just obey God and God speaks. So we're coming back and we're about half an hour out of Brisbane and the plane hits this pocket of turbulence. I, I don't like flying. God didn't give me wings and there was a reason. I can't stand. I've done a lot of flying, but I would much rather have my feet on the ground. If I fall over from here, it's only a few feet. If I fall over from there, it's a lot further. So I don't like flying. And we're coming home and all of a sudden the plane hits turbulence. And it literally, it was going along normal. Everything was perfect. It just dropped. It didn't, it just dropped. And it was like, anyone seen that old movie Flying High? Anyone remember Flying High? You know, the scene, they're over the chairs and they're screaming and they're speaking in Japanese and tongues and all sorts of things. And people are carrying on yelling. It was literally like that. Just chaos and pandemonium broke out in this plane. The guy sitting next to me that I was travelling with, his name was Johan. He was a Swedish guy. Now, Johan was a pilot. And while everyone's screaming and carrying on, he's just sitting there calmly laughing, looking around and laughing at everybody. This went on for about 10 minutes. The plane dropped for about 20 seconds. It felt like 20 seconds. And when it hit, it was just bang, like it hit a concrete floor. Yeah, that hurt. I shouldn't have done that. That even hurt you. It was that hard. The plane just went bang. And then it went along for a few more seconds and it dropped again. This happened for about two, three minutes. I'm just thinking, first of all, I'm angry. God, this is ridiculous. I went all the way to India, wasted all that money shipping my stuff back to Australia and now you're going to let me die in a plane crash. I haven't seen my fear. I thought, this is a... Yeah, and then I, then I snapped out of that and then I got very genuine with God and I'm sitting in my chair going, Lord, if I've offended anyone, anyone, God forgive me, if there's been a thought, even if I thought about thinking a thought, any, God forgive me and I'm repenting of anything I can think of. I'm repenting for, you know, things I might have done in the womb. I might have, I don't know. I'm just genuine repentance. And then eventually it settled down. When my heart rate stopped and I could get it out of my mouth back to its right cavity, I turned to Johan next to me and I said, why were you not panicking? I mean, couldn't, didn't you know what was going on? And he said, the reason I wasn't panicking was because I knew what was going on. He said, see, when you're flying and you hit, I think it's a cool pocket of air, he said, the plane just drops. But he said, what will happen is eventually it'll hit a warm pocket of air and it'll get its altitude again. So he said, I, because he's a pilot, he said, I understood exactly what was going on. Because he understood what was going on, he was able to stay calm, maintain his position and ride through that, that turbulent period. And it's a bit like that when we begin to understand there is a purpose in the storms of life. There's a reason why we go through some of the stuff that we go through. So over the next few weeks... I want to unpack this whole thought of the purpose of the storms. What are the purposes? What are the God-ordained purposes of storms and pressures in our life? And I think the Bible is very clear that there are reasons and there are, there are God-ordained purposes behind why we go through a lot of the things that we go through. 
Before we get into that this morning, I just want to have a really, really quick look at some facts about storms. There's a situation in the Bible. If you can turn to Luke 22. There's a story in the Bible where Peter is challenged by Jesus. Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. This is Peter's denial. This is when Peter denied Jesus. We all know the story and and how it outplayed and and he went on to repent and to get his life right. But I really love the little interplay here and what Christ has to say to Peter before this whole situation. And the Lord says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. That word sift, it literally means to shake. You ever get the flour and you put it in a sieve and you shake it about like that? That's, that's what the Greek word means, that, that Satan wants to, to just agitate you from the inside. He's come to just shake you a little bit and agitate you on the inside just to see whether he can push you far enough for you to throw in your faith. Now, by doing that, I don't just simply mean to see if you will denounce Christ. This was the situation here with Peter. He ended up denouncing Jesus three times. But you know, the enemy will come and he'll sift you and he'll shake you in any given particular situation to see if you will stop believing God for whatever it is that you feel you're to believe God for. If you're believing God for healing in a certain area, he will come and he will sift, he will shake, he will want to see, can I disrupt that faith? Can I can I get you to a place where you just stop believing and forget about it and just passively begin to accept this certain scenario or this certain situation that you may find yourself in. He'll come along and he'll see if he can agitate us. And it's interesting, the, the Greek word there literally means to shake in a sieve. It also means by inward agitation to try one's faith. By inward agitation. It's often things on the inside. It's attitudes that rise up on the inside. It's, 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 it's aggravation. It's, it's lack of patience. It's things on the inside that begin to grade away. The external situation may not have changed, but he'll come on the inside, he'll plant thoughts, ideas, he'll whisper things to you. He'll use other people to come along at the right time to just try to cut the legs out from underneath your faith. And that's what's happening here. But some interesting things about this interplay. The first thing we understand is that all storms pass by God's table first. Every storm that you go through will pass by God's table first. Jesus said, Satan has had to come to me. You're my children. You're my child, Peter. Satan can't just go willy-nilly and do whatever he wants with you because you are no longer in his kingdom. You are now in the kingdom of God. Your king is now Christ. And anything that he wants to do, Peter, he has to come and get my permission first. He has to run it past me, so to speak. Nothing that goes on in your world, no pressures that you're under, are done in secret away from the eyes of God. It's not like God turned his back for a second, turned back and went, ah, picked the wrong time to pick up the TV guide. Picked the wrong time to tie up the shoelace. I wasn't watching, you know. I was playing touch football uh, this weekend and and I got the ball and I stepped around the guy and it was the hooter had gone and we needed one more try to level up and I had a man standing right there next to me. And I stepped around my man and I looked back to see where he was and I had him beat. Then I turned just to pass to this other guy and when I turned he completely disappeared. I tripped over him. 
what had happened is his, his calf muscle had popped and he literally just dropped like a sack of spuds, bang, to the ground. He's there one minute, I looked away, he wasn't there. I tripped over, a big guy fell on top of me, fell on top of him, it was carnage. Because I took my eyes off this poor dude for a second. God's not taking his eyes off us and things are coming around the corner and he's unaware of the things we're facing. God knows the storms and God knows the pressure. Nothing's got past God by accident. And when we're going through those difficult moments, when we're going through those stormy periods, we need to have great faith in the fact that God, you know. God, you know. You know, in the other story we talked about, Jesus was in the same storm that the disciples were in. Even in this story, Jesus is in the same storm that the disciples are in. They're panicking in a boat. Jesus is walking on the water, but they're in the same storm together. In the other story, we see the disciples in the boat and Jesus in the boat. The disciples are panicking, pointing fingers at Jesus. Don't you care about us? Jesus is asleep. He's just trusting the Father. He wakes up. He rebukes the storm. And then in both situations, after rebuking the storm, what does he say to them? Where's your faith? In other words, real faith is not about stopping the storm. Sometimes it's about riding the wave through the storm. Real faith is about keeping our composure as we go through storms. The miracle is not that Jesus calmed a storm. Jesus created a universe. God created a world with a spoken word. To stop a storm, is that really that big of a miracle? The real miracle is that while the storm was going, Jesus was sleeping. So much faith and trust in the Father. The real miracle while the disciples are hanging on to the boat and panicking and screaming is that Jesus is out there in the middle of the storm holding his composure just walking towards them. That's a miracle. And sometimes we miss the real miracle because we're too busy praying, God, change it, change it, change it. And the Lord's saying, I can do that but I really wish you would learn what I'm trying to show you in the midst of it because that's where your faith will grow. That's where your faith will grow when you go through it and you come out the other end with that testimony and with that story. Nothing slips past God. All storms pass by the Lord's table. The second thing we know out of that passage is the devil is not to blame for all of our storms. I don't want us to go to an extreme and every time something bad happens in your world, we blame the enemy. Let me tell you something. If you eat... 55 Big Macs a day for six months of your life and then you get sore knees. Don't blame the devil. If you drink four litres of Coke a day for six months and don't brush your teeth and your teeth start to hurt and the nerves are exposed and they begin to fall out, don't blame the devil. Yeah? The devil is not the cause of every storm in your life. Sometimes... We walk into situations and circumstances that are consequences of our own actions. Sometimes done with right intentions, sometimes done without. But not every storm is sent by God. But God is aware of every storm. Years ago when we were with Youth of the Mission, there was a story of a guy that joined the organisation before we were there. And he came from America and he got a visa and he was in Australia on a student visa as he did a training school with YWAM. Anyway, one day they woke up and everyone came to lectures and he wasn't there. He just decided to just bail and took off from YWAM and that was it. Nobody knew where he was. Um, the the, the, the organisation was being chased because you got this guy on a visa and the visa's expired and we don't know where he is. 
Anyway, about a year later, the, the staff were sitting in the lounge room uh, having, having a coffee or whatever, and somebody flicked on the TV. And before the news was a show called Perfect Match. Anyone remember that show with Greg Evans? Perfect Match. <laughs> Sit behind the screen there and ask him questions. Yeah, you're a perfect match. It's funny how very few of them were ever perfectly matched. But anyway, it was great marketing, I, I suppose. Um, so anyway, they're sitting there and on's perfect match. And one of the guys goes, that's Daryl. And they all looked up at the screen and here's this American guy that had skipped on the visa. Here he is on TV on perfect match. So anyway, they, they, they made a phone call and the authorities found out who he was and they caught up with him and they took him to prison. They put him in jail. One of the leaders of the base up there in Brisbane went down to Sydney where he was and went to, to just have a chat with him just to, to find out like what happened. You know, you've come over here to do a Christian missions training school, a discipleship school. At 12 months later, you're in prison and you're on perfect match. It doesn't add up. Does your church know? You know? So they sat down with him and they asked him the question, what, what's your, and this was his response. He said, well, let me tell you, now I know why the Lord put me in this prison. It was God's will for me to be in this prison so I could preach to the other inmate. No, it wasn't God's will for you to be in the prison. You idiot. You're in prison because you skipped your, your visa requirements, because you went on a TV show on national television, and because the authorities caught up. You did the wrong thing, and you're living in the consequences of that. God didn't put you in prison so you could reach the other prisoners. You're in prison because you broke the law. Just like the person that's praying for healing for the knees, but you've eaten 50 cheeseburgers a day for three months. Common sense. Some storms are the enemy. Yes, without a doubt. But some storms we find ourselves in is maybe because we couldn't shut our big mouth. And so as we drove past that person in a car, we gave them a golf ball in Jesus' name. And then they pulled over and they got into a fisticuffs with you and before you know it, your car's got a busted windscreen and you can't avoid the paper. What's the enemy? It's just the devil trying to bring me down. No, it's not. Don't be stupid. You know? I had a friend of mine in Brisbane years ago. He was a member of the German um, bobsled team for the Olympics some years back and he came out here to Australia and uh, he was in Brisbane. He was driving around and he couldn't find a car park. And so anyway, he's driving around the city and it, it's, sometimes it's hard in Brisbane. And he eventually found this park. He pulls in, got out of the car, Shut the door, he turned, he locked his car, and next thing he felt this whack on the back of his head. Some guy had walked up to him with a baseball bat, hit him in the back of his head. He was a, a chunky sort of guy, and, 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 and however he survived it, he basically went forward, turned around, looked at the guy. The guy obviously panicked, because if you get hit in the back of the head with a baseball bat, you expect the guy to go down. You don't expect a round two or any chance of retaliation. Anyway, he just basically turned around, looked at him, he said the guy took a step back, and my friend rubbed the back of his head and said, what are you doing? And the guy went, oh, you're not an Aussie. Sorry, mate. And walked away. As if it was an Aussie, it's okay to build an Aussie in road rage. But you, it's just it's an unspoken rule. You don't build a foreigner. We don't do that to our foreigners. We just belt Aussies over the head with baseball bats. But some storms and some pressures, some things we face are of our own accord, and we need to understand that. I'm just trying to lay a bit of a platform for the next few weeks as we talk about storms. Uh, number one, God knows all the storms that come past us. Okay, God knows all that's going on. The ones that come from the enemy, God knows about them. He knows they're there. The enemy can't just go willy-nilly. God knows. 
Secondly, not every storm is from the enemy. Some consequences of life are because maybe in your relationship, if you mistreat your wife or you mistreat your husband long enough and that marriage ends up on the rocks, don't go and pray. I'm just praying. Honey, we just got to pray. It's the enemy getting in between us. No, stop disrespecting each other. Stop being rude to each other. Spend some time together. Oh, the children are running off doing this. We've just got to pray. Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe you do. But you know what? Maybe you just sit down and have a conversation with them. Maybe have some fun with them. Not everything in, in, in life is, is, is solved that way. So we've got to differentiate between those storms that come our way that God's saying, I want to teach you something in, and the storms that we bring upon ourselves because of immature or selfish actions, activities or words, whatever. The third thing is that God knows that you will fall short. God knows you'll fall short. Listen to what God said to Peter. He said, when you have returned to me, when you have returned to me. In other words, he's saying, there's a storm coming. The devil's going to sift you. And Peter, I'm letting him do it, even though I know you're going to fail. But I also know you'll come back. You'll bounce back. You'll bounce back. And we go through storms and we go through pressures. And guess what? God knows that you will be prone at times to fall short. He knows that. But he loves us anyway. He's waiting there anyway. He'll sometimes allow things that he knows that you can beat, but maybe you don't know you can beat it. And he's prepared to take that chance. Let me tell you something. I want you to think about this. I believe that God has more faith in me than I do. I believe that Jesus Christ, that God the Father, has great faith in me. I believe God the Father has great faith in you. You are imperfect. You will fall short. You will make mistakes. You will sometimes succumb to pressure. You will sometimes miss the point of the storm. You will sometimes go around the mountain again and again and again. But I believe God has great faith in you. Matter of fact, I believe with the church in general. I don't believe the church exists in the world because of man's great faith in God. It exists because of God's great faith in man. If it was existent on the basis of 12 men and their faith in Jesus, well, the day he died, they scattered. God didn't go, oh, gee, that didn't pan out how I thought it was going to. Here I was thinking the 12 would be there weeping at the cross, you know. Well, going back doing what they were doing before he came on the scene. I'm going back to my nets. I'm going back to fishing. But God has great faith in the church. Amen? And God has great faith in you. All storms pass by the Lord's table. The devil's not to blame for all storms. God knows that you're going to fall short. Number four, your test will become your testimony. He says to Peter, when you return... Strengthen my brothers. Strengthen your brothers. In other words, you're going to be tested. You're going to fall short. You're going to fail. But you're going to come back to me. When you do, I want you to use that story. I want you to use that experience to help strengthen the next group of people that will go through similar things 
that you go through. Let your test become your testimony. Take what you've learned out of that experience, bounce back bigger and better than before, and let's use that stuff to build the body of Christ. Let's use that stuff to reach out to a lost and to a dying world. You will fail, you will fall short, but you're going to bounce back. And when you do, don't just let those be lessons that are lost. You take those lessons, you take those things, and you invest them into people around you. You invest them into the next generation. You invest them into people that are outside the church right now that are hungering and thirsting and looking for the reality of God. And you've been through what they're going through, and this is how you got through it. Failings and all. But I came out the other end eventually, and I'm stronger for that, and I want to pass that on. And I want God to take that knowledge and take that wisdom and take that strength, and I want God to use that for his glory to build the kingdom of God. Amen? It's the way we look at it. Finally, number five. I've already said this. God believes in you. He's effectively saying to Peter, I'm allowing this storm because I believe that as we walk through this together, you'll come out bigger and better than ever before. That's what God's saying. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. You're going to go through this. You're going to fail. You're going to pick yourself up. I'll be with you. And at the end of it, guess what? It's going to be something good. It's going to be something beautiful. And it's like that with the storms that we go through. It's interesting there that Jesus would refer to him as Simon, Simon. You ever wonder that? I mean, he's Peter by this state, but he's Simon, Simon. Why would Jesus revert to his old name? Because I think God knows that there's a propensity inside of us to still revert back to who we were. And never is that more obvious or more uh, appropriate than when we're under pressure and we go back to our default settings of how we deal with things outside of Christ. We're under pressure, I'm just going to go and shop. And I'll shop as long as I have to shop until the pressure's gone and the storm's passed. I'm just going to eat. I'm just going to go and eat the house down like you wouldn't believe. I'm going to Macca's, Hungry Jack's, Pizza Hut. I'm hitting them all, big time. I'm going on a fast food joint call. That's what I'm doing. Some of us resort back to drink. And perhaps that one glass of wine you had at dinner becomes five, six, seven, whatever, to cope, just to try to brush the storm aside, move it out the way to try to deal with it in, an, in, in, a, in a way. And you know what? God understands that. This is the thing. God understands. He understands our humanness. He understands our fragility. But he loves us too much to leave us there. So the next few weeks we want to unpack and look at, okay, what are some of the purposes of God in the midst of the storms? Today I just wanted to lay a bit of a foundation and get us to see that storms aren't necessarily always bad. And we need to discern, God, is this a storm that I need to pray for you to stop and take away? Or God, is this a storm where you want me to curl up on the pillow with you and ride it out. Is this a storm, Lord, where you want me to get out of the boat with you and walk on the water with you? What sort of a storm is this? Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, uh, God, for this morning. We want to thank you, uh, God, for, uh, Lord, the, the, the great stories and the testimonies and the experiences, God, that each one of us in this room have had over the years in our journey with you. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are not finished with any of us, God. Father, you are doing so much more. Lord, I thank you that, uh, God, as we go forward together with you at the centre of our life, that, God, there are so many more things you want to show us, things you want to open up our eyes to to teach us, so many more areas of our life that you want to dig into, God.
Father, you're a God of healing, of restoration, of goodness, of mercy, of grace. And Father, I just pray for each of us, Lord, that you'll continue the great journey that you have started in our heart. And Father, for the rest of the week, I pray that you would bless us, God, you'd keep us safe, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, financially, whatever, God. Just have your hand upon us and keep us in your presence, Father. We just say we love you again this morning, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, have a fantastic week. Please don't run off. We have tea and coffee and everything up the back. We always challenge you, if you're here, go and talk to somebody you don't know. And if you come here by yourself for the first time, that's anybody. Have a chat with somebody. Uh, me and Jackie are going to hang up the front here. If anybody would like prayer for anything, please uh, come and grab us. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, other than that, we will see you next Sunday or we'll catch up with you during the week. Have a God-blessed time. Cheers.